With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Lynn. I would like to thank you all for tuning in after our long hiatus. I definitely missed working on this podcast and sharing stories with you since we started in March of this year. Now that we are back, and hopefully better than ever, I would like to ask three things from each and every one of you. First, please take a few seconds after listening to today's episode to subscribe. By subscribing to the podcast, you won't miss any new episodes or announcements. Second, please take a few seconds more to rate and review the podcast. This will help us hear your feedback and improve to bring you the best stories. And to be honest, I do love reading reviews. And finally, please share this podcast, especially to your friends and family. Let them know about the podcast and encourage them to listen and give us a try. In return, I'd love to send you some untimely merchandise. Let us know when you have done all three things. First, subscribe to the podcast. Second, rate and review on your podcast platform. And then third, share with your friends and family. Then send us an email at untimelypodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our DM on Twitter at untimelypodcast. Include your shirt size and mailing address. And soon, you'll receive your untimely merchandise in the mail. It's a small gesture to thank you for your support. Again, thank you for tuning in and supporting the podcast. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Buck was a burly man who was loved by many. A longshoreman by trade, he worked tirelessly to provide for his kids, all four of them. Although he worked at the Port of Oakland, he called Weaverville, a small town about a four-hour drive north, his home. Buck drove the 256 miles or 412 kilometers distance every weekend to spend time with his family. While, during the work week, Buck stayed in Oakland, sleeping in a yellow custom van decorated with the words, the Weaverville Flash on its exterior. Despite the long drive and unconventional sleeping arrangement, Buck never complained, not even once. On a warm Tuesday evening, Buck was driving his silver Chevrolet Sprint on the lower deck of the Cypress Freeway. He noticed that today, there was very little traffic on the road. As he made his way out of the lower deck, he heard something odd, something he has never heard before. It was a low, rumbling sound coming from above. Buck glanced on his rearview mirror and thought maybe his vision was getting blurry. He then realized that the mirror was shaking and the car was shaking and that odd noise started to get louder and louder. As the shaking became more violent and the unearthly noise overpowered his surroundings, Buck gripped his steering wheel and braced himself for what would be one of the most agonizing days of his life.
You are listening to Untimely, a podcast about untimely deaths in earlier or recent history that left damages in its wake. I am your host, Lynn. The state of California boasts of beautiful coastlines, fantastic scenery, and scary earthquakes. As I record this podcast, we just had a 4.2 magnitude earthquake happen early this morning. Californians are always mindful of the active fault lines that shaped this diverse state. In this episode of Untimely, we'll retell the story of one of Northern California's major earthquakes and how it affects all of us living here today. For those of you who are not familiar with the landscape of the state of California, you can basically divide the third largest state in the United States into two hemispheres, Northern California and Southern California. This actual imaginary line between the two can be marked somewhere in Fresno, which is considered Central California. Major cities in the southern part include Los Angeles and San Diego, while in the northern part are San Francisco and Sacramento. But From the edge of the state of Oregon down to the Mexico border, there are numerous areas that you can visit. One of these areas is the Bay Area, which triangulates San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. The bay in the name Bay Area is for the San Francisco Bay, which meets the Pacific Ocean somewhere under the Golden Gate Bridge. If you travel a bit southwest, there is another cluster of world-renowned cities. Santa Cruz is known for its kick-ass surfing, Monterey for its amazing aquarium, and Carmel-by-the-Sea for its charming downtown and vicinity to Pebble Beach Golf Club. In the late 80s, there were about 6 million people living in the Bay Area. Aside from the picturesque Golden Gate Bridge, there are at least four other bridges bringing the cities together, including the Bay Bridge. The Bay Bridge connects Oakland and San Francisco. Now, if you're a fan of the Golden State Warriors, this is the bridge depicted in their logo. Several highways connect all of the area's counties, including the scenic California Highway 1 and State Route 101. There is no doubt that the Bay Area has always been one of the best places to live with its eclectic sights and sounds combined with its diverse population that brought the best out of the world. But... Something happens that will forever change the way lives are now lived and how people view the Bay Area. It was October of 1989, an exciting time in the Bay Area as both baseball teams are vying for the championship in the 1989 World Series. Technically, this was the fourth time that the Giants and the Athletics met in the World Series, but in the three previous times, the Giants were in New York and The Athletics were in Philadelphia. This time, the two ball clubs were both in the Bay Area, across the bridge from one another. As you could imagine, everyone was incredibly enthusiastic. Fans of the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland Athletics were engaged in what was called Battle of the Bay, an epic series of baseball fun and competition. Here's a little sports fact for those who want to know more about baseball. The World Series is set for seven games. Whichever ball club wins four takes the pennant. The two teams had to win against all the other ball clubs in their respective leagues to get to where they are, the World Series Championships. 
and in this case, bragging rights for either the city of Oakland or San Francisco. The first two games will be played in Oakland. Games 3, 4, and 5, if needed, will be held in San Francisco, and the rest back again in Oakland. Game 1 was held on the afternoon of Saturday, October 14th, and Game 2 on Sunday, October 15th. And in both games, the Oakland A's won. Everything was set for Game 3 to be played on Tuesday, October 17th. This time, Games 3 and 4 will be held at Candlestick Park. This venue is located south of downtown San Francisco on the east side in an area called Bayview Heights. The Giants share this arena with another ball club, the San Francisco 49ers. The stick, as locals call it, can accommodate 62,000 baseball fans and on October 17th, the third game of the series, the entire stadium was sold out. Since the game was scheduled to start later in the afternoon, most fans either took the day off and planned to be at the ballpark or stayed home, while some left early for work to catch the start of the game. Families invited others to watch the game in their living rooms. Hospitals, police and fire stations all had their TVs tuned into the local channel waiting for the game to start. As it got closer to game time, the city was still abuzz. And on a positive note, traffic was not as bad as it would have been any other day. The Goodyear blip was floating above the city. The weather was unseasonably warm, even though it was fall. But the bay breeze cooled the air. Although the World Series was on top of mind, it was still business as usual everywhere. In the Marina District, new mom Carol was tending to her three-month-old baby boy. As most mothers would attest to, days like these were so precious. Carol felt so very blessed. And for some, it was a family reunion of sorts. Anamafi Moala was near the San Francisco International Airport to pick up her brother, Lysista. He was coming back home to Oakland from Australia. Anamafi, a nurse's aide, took time off from her shift that day to pick up her brother. While on the Oakland side, Kathy begrudgingly rode in the back seat of her mom's car. They were on their way to her dentist appointment. In the car was her mom's friend at the passenger seat, and beside Kathy was her brother, Julio. She sighed as their car drove under the lower deck of the Cypress Freeway. This freeway is a double-decker with four lanes each deck and connected the Bay Bridge side of Oakland. Back in San Francisco, approximately 62,000 fans rallied inside a stick. As always, a safety video was played on the big screen to inform everyone inside the stadium about forming orderly lines and exits as well as evacuation protocols in case of an emergency. Meanwhile, sports announcers Al Michaels and Tim McGarber were inside the broadcasting booth going through the information they need for the live show. Looking through player rosters, names of umpires, game statistics, and gameplays. The cameramen were performing their final adjustments all over the ballpark while the media was settling down for what they would hope to be a good game. In the suites, Mary Steinbach was with the other family members of Oakland Athletics players and staff. Mary was a Minnesota native, but for now, she called Alameda as home. That day, she was at the ballpark to support her husband Terry, a catcher for the Oakland A's. Though she was there to cheer for her husband, 
her thoughts were back in Alameda, thinking of their two-year-old who was at home with a sitter. It's almost game time. Around five minutes before 5 p.m. local time, the American Broadcasting Corporation, or ABC, was showing highlights from the previous two games. Al Michaels and Tim McCarver talked about the exciting game and memorable plays. The game was set to start at 5.35 p.m. First time in 27 years, a World Series game will be played in Candlestick Park. The Battle of the Bay continues. Second base, so the Oakland A's take... Take... It was 5.04 p.m. when a 7.1 magnitude earthquake struck the Bay Area. Fans inside the stadium hustled to safety. You can hear screams of terror and gasps of fear as the quake lasted for 15 seconds. The broadcasters in the booth held on to anything they can, while outside, the world seemed to sway back and forth in slow motion. Radio transmissions were knocked out. All city, county, state, and federal emergency services were immediately mobilized. But because transmissions were limited, there was confusion on what channels to listen to or hear orders from. Plus, electricity was also knocked out in several areas, leaving one million households and businesses without power. Despite these challenges, firefighters, city police, county sheriffs, even the Coast Guard went on red alert. Airports, all three major ones in the area, were immediately closed. Helicopters from various state and federal forces were seen all over, each one with a mission of saving lives in danger, transporting them to trauma hospitals that would take them. The Bay Area was in complete and utter chaos. The intensity of the earthquake caused a 76 by 50 foot section, or 23 meters by 15 meters, of the upper deck platform to break across the road and fall down the lower deck. It caused a huge gap. Police and emergency crews tried to reroute traffic from crossing to the Oakland side because of the gap on the road. Many of the vehicles were motioned to go back to San Francisco. But one of these vehicles were given the wrong information. At 40 miles per hour, the car drove straight into the gap and crashed. The driver was 23-year-old Anamafi Moala, and beside her was her brother, Lysista. For a moment after the crash, Lysista tried to wake his sister by shaking her shoulders and calling out her name. Anamafi slowly opened her eyes and said something gingerly. But Anamafi did not survive and left Lysista critically injured. Her last word to Lysista was John, the name of her son. While Lysista was eventually rescued, Anamafi's death is the only fatality on the bridge. Unfortunately, everywhere else, the number of deaths increased. Rubble and brick from the buildings in the surrounding areas fell down the streets, piece by piece, and made worse by the aftershocks. In downtown Santa Cruz, 73 miles south of San Francisco, over 30 buildings collapsed and killed people instantly. Around the Marina District and several neighborhoods in San Francisco, 
fire broke out because of downed power lines. At least seven buildings collapsed. The Marina District's foundation was made from a landfill of sand, rubble, waste, and other materials. Its vicinity to the bay made the underlying surface filled with groundwater. The earthquake caused the groundwater and materials to interact and suffered a phenomenon called liquefaction. Basically, liquefaction is when partially saturated soil behaves like a liquid and softens when stress is applied. And in this case, stress is the violent shaking from the earthquake. The soil then loses its strength and produces cracks on the ground or sinks a portion of the surface. And in one marina district household, the destabilized foundation knocked down walls and trapped people underneath, including Carol and her baby. Despite her best efforts to protect her child, the little one died from his injuries. Inside the stadium, many of the players and their family members headed down to the field, away from any falling debris or chaos. At that moment, the game of baseball did not matter. What mattered was everyone's safety and the welfare of their families. Though there was no video feed, Al Michaels and Tim McGarver continued to broadcast from the stick. Outside, the ESPN news van was the only one that had a generator, which allowed Chris Berman and Bob Lay to continue their live coverage. News helicopters hovered around the Bay Area as well, showing the devastation from the earthquake. The violent quake caused the south portions of the upper deck of the Cypress Freeway to succumb to the shaking and collapse down the lower deck. The damage crushed many vehicles underneath. Men, women, and children were trapped inside. Miles away, a team of medical professionals loaded up in a station wagon. Elbow to elbow, each of them carrying medical equipment, the group headed towards the Cypress Freeway. Dr. James Betts was one of these medical professionals. Their vehicle went past evacuated buildings, with people all around seemed to be scattered everywhere, all in a daze of what just happened. As the vehicle approached the collapsed freeway, Betts and his other crew members couldn't believe or even make out what was going on and what they saw. The confusing perspective of a once towering double-decker road obliterated into one heap of concrete, steel, and rubble. Vehicles were faced in almost every direction, steel rods exposed in the air, and the smell of gasoline and burnt rubber emanated everywhere. Fire engines held up ladders against the concrete mess, trying to find a way to rescue anyone trapped and bring them down. Dr. Betts climbed up one of the ladders to take a look at what he was called to help with. Inside one of the cars, partially smashed by the tons of concrete above, was a young boy slumped in the back seat. He was alive, with barely a whimper, but unconscious and unable to communicate. Two female adults were in the front seats, but none were alive. Although earlier, there was another young girl in the same back seat with injuries, but not as bad as the young boys. The girl who will be later known as the boy's sister was transported to the hospital, but the boy who was in much worse shape cannot be moved. His lower body was wedged underneath and his right leg was pinned down. Dr. Betts, with the others, tried to find a way to free the boy from the vehicle, but soon he realized 
that the only way to save the boy is to amputate the right leg. With only a tiny area to perform this life-saving surgery, Dr. Betts had to do the surgery right then and there. He was not going to give up that easily. Armed with whatever tools he had and with the help of emergency crews and his other team members, they amputated the right leg, working on saving the boy's life for hours. Fortunately, the emergency surgery was a success and the boy, whose name was Julio, was taken to the hospital for further care and reunited with his sister, Kathy. It was one of the success stories of this devastating day. Finally, those who were at the stick slowly made their way home. In some cases, it took almost four hours to get home in what would have been a 30-minute ride. The Steinbachs, who found each other after the earthquake, was in a state of worry the entire time they were making their way home. There was no way for them to know how their toddler and their babysitter was doing. Of course, every possible scenario ran through Mary's head. What if they were trapped? What if they were brought to the hospital? How would they know where? What if they were injured or worse? All Terry could say to her was it's going to be all right. Once they got to their driveway, Mary almost fell out of the car running towards the house. When she opened the door, she was surprised and relieved as her baby and their sitter were both waiting for them unharmed. Mary will thank her lucky stars forever. As the sun went down, the city was lit with small fires and police lights. At this point, the entire nation and most of the world have heard of the wreckage and damage caused by the earthquake. Many of the news stations were back on the air, mostly reporting on site in and around the city to show the world what had happened. The news kept everyone informed of what was going on. By midnight, some parts of San Francisco had power back on, while the rest slowly came back overnight. And when the next day broke, every person in the entire Bay Area knew that for them, the world will never be the same. Official reports state that the earthquake on October 17, 1989, had a magnitude of 7.1 on the Richter scale and severely damaged the San Andreas Fault and other fault lines in the area. The epicenter of the quake was 60 miles southeast of San Francisco in an area called Loma Prieta, which is how the quake is now currently known. It was reported that the quake was felt as far south as Los Angeles and as far north as Oregon. The Loma Prieta earthquake damaged 12,000 homes and 2,600 businesses, while some structures were devastated. All in all, the death toll was 57 deaths, with an additional six following days and weeks later, and 4,000 were reported injured all over the Bay Area. Most services and utilities came back the next day, including the major airports, even with the high death toll, many firmly believe that it could have been much, much worse, if not for the World Series. If it were an ordinary afternoon, the traffic would be at its peak with thousands of people on the roads and on the bridges. But because many stayed home or left early to catch the game, the amount of traffic and people out was immensely low in number. In the following days after the earthquake, the people of the Bay Area tried to recover from the devastation. 
city and national railroad trains were back running, and other public transportation slowly began to get back to schedule. Law enforcement, both state and federal, began cleaning up the streets, using heavy equipment to remove boulders, concrete, and abandoned vehicles affected by the quake. City engineers and planners visited cracked pavements and streets, going over the plans to build once again and get back to normal. By the coast, landslides prevented access to major roads, including the famous Highway 1. Then-President George H. Bush released a 1.1 billion earthquake relief to the state of California to help rebuild and recover. At that time, this was the most expensive natural disaster in the history of the United States, with an estimated $6 billion in damages. Although this earthquake will be forever tied to San Francisco, the worst of it and most deaths occurred in Oakland on the Cypress Freeway. Around 42 lives were lost on the freeway. Volunteers and city workers worked nonstop to recover and remove the heaps of twisted metal trapped in the middle of the freeway's decks. On the fourth day after the quake, one of the workers heard a faint sound coming from one of the trapped cars. He yelled at others to come help clear the rubble away from the vehicle. Once cleared, they saw a silver Chevrolet Sprint crushed underneath the concrete. Inside was a man, clearly alive despite being trapped for over 90 hours. The man was rescued and was dubbed as Lucky Buck from Weaverville, California, and he was immediately brought to the nearest hospital to be treated. Lucky Buck was put on life-supporting equipment and was given the best of care. But, even after his rescue, Buck was unable to hold on, and after 29 days in the hospital, he died of respiratory failure. The Loma Prieta earthquake not only changed lives, but also changed the traffic landscape. After a month, the Bay Bridge was cleaned up and repaired, then opened to the public. However, it was clear that many of the major roads and bridges in the Bay Area were in bad shape and in need of retrofitting and additional safety measures against natural disasters such as an earthquake. In 2002, a new eastern span of the Bay Bridge started construction. This project was not completed until 2013. On the Oakland side, the Cypress Freeway's devastation led to a renewed thought around roads and double-decker highways. In 1997, a single-deck highway was built to replace the freeway. Instead, a ground-level parkway, now called Mandela Parkway, served as the new major traffic artery in Oakland. Bay ferries used to be a thing of the past, but... The earthquake brought this form of transportation back to ensure that the people have other ways to get to where they need to be while the roads were being repaired. The popularity and ease of the ferries were highly sought by the public and to this day remains a source of transportation for many. Everywhere else, city, federal, state, and private structures all went through comprehensive assessments and retrofitting to ensure that such devastation never happens again. Even the world-famous Golden Gate Bridge, though unharmed by the Loma Prieta, went through exhaustive testing and reinforcements. The new Stanford Children's Hospital was built with earthquake safety in mind. 
underneath its foundation are base isolators, which are steel plates with a ball-bearing suspension in between that allows the columns to move or shake at least three feet in any direction. These plates gives the building a chance to withstand an earthquake up to 8.0 on the Richter scale. Utilities are also planned in parallel to the possible tremors. Electricity, gas, and water connections can slide side to side without breaking. Many other buildings follow this form of earthquake safety precaution. The California Integrated Seismic Network, or CISN, was formed from several earthquake monitoring networks which combined studies and data. Although scientists and seismologists are still unable to predict large-scale quakes, their studies help local and federal agencies prepare for earthquakes similar to the Loma Prieta with standardized planning and guidelines and critical state of readiness in both public and private sectors. In 2009, the United States Geological Survey founded the Bay Area Earthquake Alliance, composed of public and private companies that follow earthquake preparedness throughout the Bay Area. Every year, the Bay Area Earthquake Alliance co-sponsors the Great California Shakeout Earthquake Preparedness Exercise held on the third Thursday of October. Nearly 10 million Californians, including myself, participate in this important exercise. 10 days after the earthquake, despite controversies, Game 3 of the World Series was played at Candlestick Park. Then-Commissioner Faye Vincent made the decision to continue the games even though many called for the cancellation of the series or even relocating the games to another city. But Vincent's decision to go on was what the Bay Area needed at that time, something they can control and welcome back in their lives, the game of baseball. In a heartwarming pregame ceremony, firefighters, police officers, and emergency responders were honored and recognized for their heroism and bravery. The end of Game 3 was the Oakland Athletics winning over the San Francisco Giants with a score of 13-7. It was a record-breaking game at that time with the most combined home runs in a World Series game. The next day, Game 4 was played at the stick again with the Athletics winning. With their win, they close out the World Series by winning with a sweep of 4-0. Game 4 of the 1989 Battle of the Bay would be the last time that a World Series game was played at Candlestick Park. The new home of the San Francisco Giants is now the Oracle Park, a little bit north of Candlestick. October 17, 2019 marks the 30th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake. Many of the people who were here in 1989 still recall that moment like it was yesterday. Memories of that fatal day can be seen and felt around the area. For example, if you happen to stop by Ripley's Believe It or Not in San Francisco, Lucky Buck's Silver Chevrolet Sprint is currently on exhibit. But most importantly, everyone here in the Bay Area knows that the big one is coming. As we walk along the streets of San Francisco, drive across the Bay Bridge, or watch a game in our house, it's coming. And it's not a matter of if, but it's a question of when. And hopefully, we'll all be ready.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. I would love to know what you think about this episode. Send us a note at untimelypodcast at gmail.com. Also, as we remember the 30th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake, I would also like to say happy birthday to my father Manny, who was in San Francisco at that time. I'm glad to say that he now celebrates his 72nd birthday. Happy birthday, Pops. I'm also happy to announce that we will soon have more social media coverage, including Instagram and Facebook. While we wait for those two sites to get ready, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Stop by and say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.